as indigenous people, what we what do we do in the Salish Sea? Hey, I'm Santana. And I'm Haley. I'm Bella. And this is Young and Indigenous Podcast. And I'm here with Tana. Young and Indigenous Podcast is an outlet for people to know about Indigenous knowledge, storytelling, and history. Through our youthful journeys as Indigenous people, through these stories, young people and elders share their experiences with us. Without them, we wouldn't be able to do this. About to tell some red stories. Stay tuned. My reflection on the San Juan Island tour. An experience really opened my mind on who we are and where we come from as indigenous people. It made me realize that Daryl has been telling me these stories for years. Having an understanding that our family and our ancestors have been here since time immemorial. Hearing these stories made my cup full. This was the first time touring the islands I felt connected to the land and the waters doing this tour. It was a sense of peace and a sense of heartwarming feelings knowing that they were here with us. Like you bring our people home. Having the sense of teachings that were brought to us. I was really thankful for the event and the stories it brought. And what I learned from it and a little more knowing that we're always learning. From our people, from the past, present, and future. Within finding our history, knowledge, and teachings, most importantly, our identity as Indigenous people. It was a beautiful journey to learn who we are and where we come from and why we are doing this work for the future generations to come so they don't feel at loss wondering why their families don't do this for them. For me, I want to be able to give back to my children, to be fully involved in the culture and language who they are and where they come from, to find their gifts in our way of life. This work is doing that. It was an honor and experience to be a part of these events. I am so thankful for our community and the things that they do for us. We take what we learn. I am proud to be Lummi and Indigenous. All of our people have a part and a story that needs to be shared. Haishka, and thank you to everyone that is listening. All right, the first question is, what is the history of our people in the San Juan Islands? The uh, San Juan Islands is really our homeland. Skalatsis homeland. It's where we come from. Uh, it's uh, where we originated, 
and then at treaty signing in 1855, we agreed to move from the islands to this place today we call the Lummi Reservation. But we still identify with the San Juan Islands. Uh, our fishers still uh, go out uh, and uh, harvest there. Uh, we still have land that we own today in our modern way of ownership. But most importantly, the families of the Lactamish people, the Lummi people, identify with uh, the place names and their names come from there. Their song and ceremony come from these places uh, out in our homeland. So the identity is still alive today. What was our lifestyle like when we lived on the islands? The life lifestyle was uh, of our people uh, came from the return of the salmon and the villages that were in the islands were where we lived. As the salmon came home, we went home to those villages and followed the salmon as they went from uh, their entryway into our homelands, uh, through our homelands and up the river to go back to spawn and give new life. Well, if you think about it, the people followed the salmon as they came back from the ocean through our homeland and the villages were all along that migratory path of the salmon. My name is Timothy Blue Sr. I come from the Bolt Celestine family. The Bolt Celestine family on the female side on the male side, I come from the Solomon Baloo. You know, we, as Indian people, indigenous people, we all have a story. Each one of us has a story. So, so there was two brothers. Swatan and his brother came from Salmana, South Vancouver Island. You know where Salmana is, huh? Kind of like Duncan, oh, okay. Duncan area. Our family came from there, yeah. Swatan came and built the first home in the northern portion of the San Juan Islands, um, Garrison Bay. Okay. And it was, it held 200 people, 200 lummies. Wow. And what he did was he followed this, the sockeye salmon. All, all the way to where we live now, Lummi Island. There was 14 homes here in the San Juan Island, longhouses. And um, each one probably had 60, 60 people living in it at one time or another. And so during the treaty time, Governor Stevens made us all leave the San Juan Islands and made us go live what was called Chichusan. But it's um, Lummi Reservation today. We moved from the islands uh, in the old days because of this harvest of the salmon, and but also the berries and the plants uh, when, the, when they were ripe, we were there to harvest. 
and then we moved to the main villages uh, in uh, near where we're at today and then along the coastline from Canada down to um, to Samish. Um, but uh, today we moved from the islands because of the treaty in 1855 said that we would give up these lands and share it with the newcomers and that we would establish a reservation which is called the Lummi Reservation today. And so in 1855 we moved and our old villages, villages were burned down and uh, all of our people moved to where we live today. That's funny, I think you just answered the next question. I was like, can you explain the Treaty of Point Elliot and how reservations are formed? Yeah. Yes, the, uh, we were notified uh, prior to January 1855 that there was some work that needed to be done in an agreement between the settlers and the government officials of the United States government in 1855. They sent a representative out, uh, his name was Stevens, and uh, Governor Stevens, Isaac Stevens, asked us to come and meet the him. So the delegation of the uh, Lactamish people went down to Mukilteo. They brought their young ones with them, and they talked about what would be shared with the, the settlers, and and it was agreed to. So the uh, Isaac Stevens and the tribal leaders, uh, not only from Lummi but the other surrounding nations, uh, signed a treaty and. Uh, that treaty is still in effect today. We are great believers in upholding the treaty, especially as it relates to our fishing grounds and our sacred sites. And I really truly hope being out here today, you guys, you kind of understand who you are, where you come from. <clears throat> you know, it's, for myself, I probably spent 45% of my time on the Sailly Sea growing up. 45% of my time, my lifehood. And I start fishing in 1960 with our grandfather. Okay, this, this is a great event for you guys, being out in the Sailly Sea. And our grandfather talked about what water is. So if you go home tonight and ask your parents, grandparents, or your uncles what water is, water's power for indigenous people. Our grandmother talked about the power of water, what it can do for you. Sailor's Sea is power. If you ask Shireen, what is Sailor's Sea? Is it a male or a female? She'll tell you right now. Right, Shereen? She said female. Really, if I was one of the guys, I'd say, why is it a female? No guys here? Real salty. <laughs> Your great grandfather's role in the treaty signing? Yes, my great grandfather, Chetalak uh, Frank Hilaire, was a little boy. He was like nine years old, and he was instructed by the elders to get in the canoe 
and go down to the treaty signing. He, along with about eight or nine other young people, were there, and they were there to witness what was being said, and they were uh, directed by the elders to never forget. It was drilled into their hearts and minds to never forget what was said at treaty signing. So his role then from that point forward as a witness is to remind the newcomers of who we are, what we stood for, and the importance of maintaining uh, those promises and upholding those promises to one another. What effect does being limited to a reservation have upon a people? The uh, being confined to a reservation is, was a form of colonization. They wanted to put us there and remove us from our lifeway and, and then created a, a dependent people, dependent upon the government for food, for healthcare, for education. And, uh, and today we're still fighting through that. We're still trying to decolonize our way of thinking which means that we don't come from the reservation, we come from this larger place, our homeland, the Skalatsis, including the, the Salmon Islands, and that in, in that thinking, there's another way of, of governing ourselves, and it's governing ourselves in such a way that we include the spirit of our ancestors, we include song and ceremony, we include the advice of both uh, the leader of the homes, but also the grandmothers and all those other people, spiritual leaders that carry responsibilities for the people. So we're trying to work our way back to that. And then the process of decolonization is incomplete until we can realize that we, we have a way that just needs to be reborn. We need to begin practicing it. What do you guys think about learning that our people are from these San Juan Islands? I didn't know that before, so that's pretty cool. I don't care. What do you think about it? I, uh, I didn't know that. You know that? Something, I learn something new every day. Yeah, you do. What about you two? Oh, yeah, I didn't know it. Has didn't know that either. What about you, Robin? I did. It's nice to look at where our ancestors grew up. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you something. I know that my family's from Shaw Island. I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah, we're from Lummi, but originally our people are from the San Juans. Before colonization happened, they pushed us out into reservations. My grandpa is actually from New Mexico. Really? Yeah. Well, then who, where's your grandma from? Lummi. Yeah, see? She probably, her, your, your family probably lived in one of the islands before. We got the Lane family? Yeah. yeah. What about my great-great-great-great-grandpa? Yes. I do know that my my granny used to talk about the San Juan Islands. Mary Kiki. She told stories about them. I don't remember most of them because it was so long ago. But I do know that she talked about them a lot.
Why is it important that young people be connected with their ancestral homelands? It's an old teaching that, um, and you hear it so much, um, that know who you are and where you come from. And we don't come from Bellingham. We don't come from uh, the hospital. No, we come from where our ancestors were born and what they did and the things that they practiced and the names that they carried. And we come from that. And when we connect with uh, uh, who we are and where we come from, then we can become whole again, both physically and spiritually and mentally. So it's important for our young ones to realize that, that it'll be found someday, uh, most often through the language. And if our children can immerse themselves in, in the language even more, then we'll become even stronger and we can recognize those names that uh, are out in the islands as part of who we are. So there is a story about the Kualshan and Mount Rainier. Uh, her name was Kuoma. As we, as we, uh, in today's term, that area down there, they call it Tukuma. But um, Kuoma and Kualshan were married at one time and they end up getting into an argument and, and they then Kuoma left. So when Kuoma left, she began to cry. She began to cry so much it created what we now know as the rivers. She followed the rivers down, all the way down to the bay. <clears throat> when she got to Bellingham Bay, she dropped her bow and arrow. This is what we call Tukwetch. Eliza Island is Tukwetch. She decided to go a little bit further and she decided to try to eat something. And she tried to eat the camas. And because she was still so upset, it came back up. And when it landed, it became Vendovi Island. Vendovi Island is known for a place where we gather the camas. <clears throat> she went a little bit further and she, she tried to eat the mussels, the slautkam. And again, she couldn't hold it. And it came back up. When it landed, it became Susha Island. So slautkamung, Susha Island. She tried eating the native oysters. This became Pedos Island, Kwaiten. So all these different foods that we gather throughout the islands are because of her, her travels to where she sits now. And so we continue to harvest, continue to tell the stories, continue so that we don't forget about her journey. She tried to eat the skamo. There's a little island out by Waldron Island called Flat Top Island. This little island became 
Skamelkin. Because she tried to eat that, it came back up. That's one of the places that we now know as where people gather the Skamelk. So on her journey to where she is now, she tried to eat all these different things and she wasn't able to hold them. And this is how our islands were created. So today we know that these places are the places where we gather different materials, different plants, different foods. What do you hope for the Lummi people in having access to, to their traditional homelands? Well, I hope that each of the young people have an identity with their, uh, with their ancestors and that can only come through knowing where they were uh, born, knowing where they lived, uh, knowing what they did, and, and knowing what their gift uh, was that was contributed to the, the larger community. And then through that, I think there will be harmony because we all work together to, really back then it was to survive, you know, and, and thrive uh, because we had such an abundance of of food and, and resources back then. And if we can bring that back, then we can become even more whole. Okay, so the, the only other fishing technique that we didn't really talk about was the reef net fishing. I know I, I mentioned it um, when we were out towards San Juan Island but the reef net fishing, um, I have a model and sometimes I get to bring it out and, and show people exactly what it looks like when it's underwater. Um, but basically you're creating a false sense of security so that the salmon see, oh yeah, this looks like a safe place. And they're kind of lured into the net and they don't, they don't realize that they're in the net until it's too late. So when it's too late, there's a person up watching and they tell everybody, pull it up. And they get as a, a bunch of salmon in their nets. Back then, they didn't have machines, so they, everything was done by hand. And you had to work in unison, working together, understanding that you can't be you can't be slacking. Um, but they worked together, pulled up the fish in the nets, decided to put the fish into one of the canoes, and then they had another canoe that would travel back and forth to the beach. And that would be how they got, up, got all of their salmon to the beach. Do you guys have any ideas what our fishing nets were made out of? Vines? Okay, so we did make rope, we did make twine, um, and a combination of different materials, sometimes cedar, sometimes willow, sometimes stinger nettle. So all those different materials can get you everything that you need when you're making your, your nets. And 
so when you talk about the different kinds of nets we have, we have nets for fishing, but do you guys know any other kind of nets that we might have? We had nets for catching ducks. We have nets for catching deer. Um, and so, you know, thinking, thinking about how our ancestors made those nets and how strong that they had to be, um, each material had its purpose and it really just depended on what it is that you were gathering. If you're catching birds, it still needs to be a strong net, just the same as if you're putting it in the water to go fishing. Um, if you're catching ducks, it's got to be, I mean, if you're catching deer, it's got to be even stronger because you know how strong those deer are and they can easily just jump away. So all these different techniques are things that we need to continue passing on to the next generation. these techniques the intelligence of the ancestors because when you want to stop and think about it it's mathematics this is science but it's not in the, in the sense of we're writing out science problems we're not writing out mathematical equations we know that we can get these to work for us so in order for this to work for us you have to have your geometry correct. You have to know how long to make things. Um, we do have several different kinds of paddles. Some were meant for traveling canoes. Some paddles were meant for racing. Some paddles, they were meant for landing on a rocky beach. And so this is just an, an example of, you know, one of the paddles. Our people understood when we were going to make a paddle, we would actually use um, the maple tree. So the maple tree is called the scumalich. So scumal 
is the name for any kind of paddle. So the scumaliste is basically the paddle tree is what you would directly translate that to. You know, when we stop and think about the intelligence of the ancestors, these are just a few of the things that they've created and that we continue to, to practice, to teach, to show, to make. Um, do you guys have any questions? Like the Walking With Our Ancestors event, we've been here for everyone, kind of just documenting everything and participating along. But is there anything you learned or even something that you guys have a lot of fun with today? I enjoyed it. I thought it was kind of very calming. Just like standing at the water, kind of rocking on the boat. Especially just like looking, waiting for the whale to come back up. Yeah, I've been on the water like probably when I was 10 years old. I was on a ferry, but i just never been on the water for so long. Well, I'm glad I'm here again. It was really cool. Is you don't you don't see any of that stuff when you're just on the or on land. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and even then you got to go way out anyways. Right. <laughs> totally true. I like learning about um, the names of the islands in the language. I grew up fishing with my dad. A lot of different kinds of whales. Watching whales. No, how the whales. Like how they find their food. Like they look for a huge clump of birds, and that's how they could tell where all the fish are. That's cool. Where the water people. We work at the Northwest Indian College Center for Health, and really our purpose is to help provide you all with opportunities to connect you with cultural um, activities and practices, teachings, just to expose and provide the opportunities for you all to build upon those as, as you grow into adulthood. And so all these different activities that we've been doing, we've done in the past, with Smackia and the youth and Anita and the summer youth program. So everything that you've done this year, previous youth have done this in the last four or five years, uh, but we have only done one event per summer. This year, you guys all had the opportunity to do all of those events in one summer. And so we're just thankful that we're, we have been able to do this opportunity together. Clam digging, the podcasting, Kosalish art, digital art, wool weaving, cedar weaving, Lemmy language, and today being out here on the land and water. That, that, those are just opportunities to, to get you thinking, maybe excited about what is something that you want to do as you grow older? What is uh, your skill, your gift? Because we all have a gift. We might not know what that is unless you try it. So if you try it and you like it, you enjoy it, it's something that you can build upon and, and grow into. And that's really our hope 
is to connect you with these things that are part of who you are and where you come from, that strength that you all carry. Um, and it's just about bringing that out. And I hope you all enjoyed this, this summer and these Thursday activities. And, um, you know, I, I just thank you for, for being here and listening and engaging. Um, so thank you. Thank you for listening to Young and Indigenous. You can follow us at YAYAI podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Heishka to the First Nations Development Institute. And the Discurrent Foundation. Our hands go up to you. Yay is part of Children of the Setting Sun Productions. Intro song by Keith Jefferson, Adam Lawrence, and Mark Nichols. Original music by Mark Nichols, Julie Lewis, and Shinoa Agawa. Brought to you by Northwest Indian College Center for Health Native Connections Program. This podcast is brought to you by the Northwest Indian College Center for Health and the LIBC Native Connections Project, a grant funded by the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, SAMHSA 5H79SM063454. The views, opinions, and content expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views, opinions, or policies of the Center for Substance Abuse Prevention, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, or the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Thank you. Hoi!